Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and we're going to look at just two verses tonight. Two verses as we look at a need to apply our wisdom to our speech. Often when we hear something, we're quick to judge and react to what we've heard. I've been guilty way too often of that. But we need to stop and consider our answer before responding. So we're just going to look at two verses here. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. Ecclesiastes 7, 21. Solomon writes, And take no heed unto all the words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. For oft times also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. It's quite a thought, isn't it? Don't be listening to what everybody's saying about you, because you know very well you've done it too. That sums it up. So we're going to look at these three areas. Let's be careful what we hear. Oh, be careful with little ears what you hear. Okay. And be careful little mouth what you say, right? And then let's be careful in how we, re we respond. So let's apply proper wisdom when speaking. Father, I pray again that you give us wisdom as we go through this passage Lord, th things that we've covered often, but your word covers them many times because the tongue is so hard for us to control. So we need constant reminders. And when your word covers a topic more than once, then it's appropriate for us to continue to study more than once until we learn to truly apply wisdom to our speech. So help us tonight to do so. We thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Be careful what you hear. In the passage, Solomon says, Take no heed unto the words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant speak, speak against thee. Servant curse thee, rather. You know, we need to be careful listening to everything everybody says. And we need to be careful. Now let's put this in modern times. Everything we see or read on social media. Just because it's on the internet does not make it true. I know, that was shocking. But there's just as much gossip there as it used to be people on party lines listening in to all the town gossip on the party line and everything else. But you and I are not to be busybodies and we are not to be gossips. 2 Thessalonians 3.11, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Do not be concerned with every useless matter. Now, I'm not saying don't be concerned for others. That's not what I'm saying. You know, okay, many times when we're hearing prayer requests, people say, I have an unspoken request. That's not your business to go to them and say, hey, just want to pray for you more detailed on that. What is that unspoken request anyhow? Right? But when we have a problem with somebody, we go to them directly. We go to them one-on-one -on -one and we deal with the issue. We don't talk about it to everybody else. And if the person you have an issue with should be the first to hear it, not the last to hear it, right? And let me tell you how you stop gossip when people come to you and say, let me tell you about so-and-so. Have you gone to them already? Have you gone to them first? Well, no, I wanted to talk to you first. Okay, why do you need to talk to me first? Now, 
If it's because, well, I just want to tell you what's going on, well, go talk to them. But if it's, if it's look, okay, you know, those who served in the military, most businesses have a chain of command, right? And you're responsible for going to the next one up in the chain of command. Sometimes, the only way you can ever go around the chain of command is if that one is the problem, right? Okay, so if they're coming to you because somehow that's the case, then that might be a legitimate reason to listen to it. But otherwise, I'm trying to think of a legitimate reason why they shouldn't have gone to the individual first. Do you follow what I'm saying? We've all met the one who could tell you everything about everybody on the block or could tell you everything about everybody in the church because they're in everybody's business. I don't think we have any of those here, and I'm not asking for one. Lord, please don't take it. I was asking for one. <laughs> and I'm glad we don't. But we also need to be careful when listening to accusations. Now, 1 Timothy 5.19 is speaking about an accusation against a pastor, but it really could be applied to all the brethren. It says, against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. When somebody wants to come and talk about you, so when... When Ashley wants to come talk to me about Troy, you know, if she says, look, I've gone to him, and he didn't respond, and now I've taken witnesses with me, and these are the witnesses, then that's one thing, right? But if it's just gossip, don't listen to it. Years ago when I was in college, one of our professors gave an illustration of a friend of his, or might have been himself, I don't remember because this was years ago, but anyhow, had a major blow-up in the church because the pastor was having an affair with a young woman. And so they investigated, trying to figure out what's going on, and here the pastor's daughter was in town and somebody drove by the hotel and saw the pastor step out of the hotel room with this young woman and give her a hug and kiss. It was his daughter. And they went, blah, 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 blah. And the pastor almost got kicked out, out of the church because of gossip. Get the facts, folks. Figure out what's going on before you start talking about it. But our human nature is to immediately assume, assume the worst. So we need to be careful what we hear, but we also need to be careful what we say. Do not be hasty with your speech and say something you'll regret. Yesterday, we did two interviews for the city manager, and one of the candidates was very slow to speak. Now, I'm not saying slow in speech, but when the question was asked, would sit there and thoughtfully meditate about it before speaking. That's not a bad thing. Usually, it's a good thing, right? But too often, we feel we've got to say something. So we start talking before the mind is engaged, the mouth is already flapping. Proverbs 29, 20, Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words, there is more hope of a fool than for him. Proverbs 29, 11, 
A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. You know, when I go to candidate forms, I like to try to ask a question that maybe the candidate doesn't know because I want to see how they're going to handle when they don't know. Are they willing to say, I don't know, but I'll get back to you on that? Or are they going to try to give a bunch of stuff and fluff and then everybody in the room recognizes that they had no clue what they were talking about? Because that really shows a lot about their character, doesn't it? So think before you respond. James 1.19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. But when we do speak, we need to use gracious speech. The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. And way too often, we're good about speaking the truth, but we forget that love part. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how that you ought to answer every man. Now, come on. We all know that if you're going to get a fresh tomato and make a tomato sandwich, you've got to have the salt shaker to put on the, on, the, on the tomato, right? Or if you're going to take a slice of avocado, you've got to have the salt shaker to put a little salt in that avocado, right? Because, yes, those, those things taste good by themselves, but, boy, that flavor really comes out when you put a little bit of salt on it, doesn't it? And so it should be in our speech that it is a pleasing speech. Now, it doesn't mean we're people pleasers. It means that we speak with grace. You know, there are some that just really have a very graceful speech. That should be the goal of all of us. Been working on it, and I think I'll be working on it the rest of my life because, well, anyhow. And do not curse others. Verse 22, For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thyself likewise hath cursed others. There's been times when we have been upset at somebody and said something about them we should not have said. That's what Solomon is saying is, be careful when you hear something, somebody saying something about you, because be honest, you've done the same thing to somebody else at some point in your life. So instead of being so critical at that moment, realize, you know what, sometimes people are blowing off steam and it doesn't make it right. You've done the same thing. You've sinned against others and doing the same thing. So therefore, let's be a little gracious about it and realize you've done the same thing. However, in the way it hurts when somebody speaks negative about you, it hurts them when you say it about others. So be careful what you say. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. <clears throat> what is it little thumper said on Bambi? If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Well, we probably do well to apply that sometimes, would we not? Because spreading around unless there's a need. Now, there are times when Paul would say, be careful of this brother, or this brother I've turned over to Satan because of things they've done, and he would give warnings about people. Now, he wasn't trying to be unkind. He wasn't trying to be um, stirring up strife, but he was trying to protect the purity of the churches. And there comes a time when it may be necessary to call somebody out, but to sit there and just talk bad about somebody for no reason is not the time. 
So point number three, be careful how you respond. If there's been times that you yourself have cursed others, and you're hearing somebody do this against you, then sit back and think, how should I respond? You know, if you hear somebody talking bad about you, truthfully, maybe it's time to take a little self-evaluation and say, are they right? Is there a reason why they're saying that? Did you ever consider that? What have I done to give them reason to say so? Now, the answer may be nothing. I mean, I think it's very fair when Jesus asked the Jews, okay, so I've healed all these people, I've given the blind sight, and I've, 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 I've raised people from the dead, so which of these good works are you accusing me of? For which of these do you want to kill me? I mean, I think that was a legitimate question, don't you? Okay, the problem is, is you and I are not Jesus Christ. Every one of us has a sin nature, so we can never say it the way he did. However, maybe they misunderstood what we said. Maybe they misunderstood how we said it. And the truth is, is maybe we were in a bad mood when something was said to us, and we just took it wrong, and we did, and we did offend. So be quick to say, you know what? You're right. Not just to try to appease, but because we need to evaluate our own heart. And you know what? There's many times that we react improperly, and that sometimes we have a hard time swallowing our pride, saying, you know what? I was wrong in that situation. It goes back to what Jesus taught in Matthew 7. And why beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote in thine own eye, and behold a beam in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam that is in thine own eye, and thou shalt see clearly to cast out the beam, or the mote that is in your brother's eye. When I was in aviation medicine, uh, we had a guy come in, I think it was a piece of metal, metal shaving or something, got in his eye. Well, you ever tried fishing that out of somebody's eye? It's really not the easiest thing in the world. So we put him in the chair, we prop his eye open, and we're sitting there putting all this magnification in front of him so we could see what we're doing and trying to get in there and get that out. Okay, it took a lot of really precision to get there. By the way, I was watching, and I said we, but I was watching it because, remember, I have no depth perception, so I really don't want to stab the guy's eye. So. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> so I think about that, and the thing Jesus is saying is about you're trying to get this little speck out of somebody else's eye when you got a big four-by-four four hanging out your own eye. You know, you got a beam hanging out your eye. And so you're sitting there beating them with, excuse me, let me help you with this, you know. <laughs> and they're seeing the hypocrisy in it. Think about it. You got this blatant sin in your life, and you're being a hypocrite trying to say, you know what, Troy? You got a problem with this. And he's like, um, yeah, so do you. Bigger than mine. Don't you see it hanging out your eye? <laughs> so what Jesus is saying is go get that four by four out of your own eye. Take care of yourself first. And then you'll be ready to help. Now, it's not saying don't go help them. Take care of yourself first. But you know what? If I were able to go to Troy, let's say Troy has a problem. I don't know. What problem you want to have, Troy? He's like, I don't know. You're going to put me on the spot? Let's say it's anger. He gets mad real quick. 
Okay? I don't know if that happens or not, so I'm just picking something, okay? It's not, this is not your confession time. Okay? <laughs> he gets mad real quick, right? Well, if I'm constantly flying off the handle, and he sees me flying off the handle with everybody, and I go to him and say, you know what, Troy? You have an anger issue. He's going to be like, uh, yep, not as bad as yours. Okay, but if I recognize that I have an anger issue, and I take it to the Lord, and the Lord gives me victory over it, you know, now I can come to Troy and say, you know what, Troy? I've been there. I've walked in your shoes. As a matter of fact, your problem is not as big as mine ever was. I tell you, because, you know, and I could share with him how God has given me deliverance from it and say, so let me show you how God delivered me from it. Now, that would be a whole lot better approach, wouldn't it not? And I would imagine probably better received because if somebody comes to me and says, you know what, I've dealt with the same issue and here's how God gave me victory over it. You know what I want to know? How did you get victory? Because I need it. Right? So we've got to get rid of the beam in our own eye so we can help our brother get rid of the mope, a little speck of dust in his, own eye, in his eye. This is a common truth. People tend to be hard on people when they're guilty of the same sin. The hardest ones that people usually are on are the ones that they're guilty of themselves of that same sin. Have you ever noticed that? So don't be a self along with don't be a hypocritic critical in your judgment don't be self-righteous don't be as the pharisees who as they prayed as a pharisee praying next to the publican you know saying god boy you're really fortunate to have me i'm not an extortioner i'm not all these bad things matter of fact i'm not even like this publican over here i'm such a great guy you know how that must disgust god well i know how it does because Jesus didn't have a lot of nice things to say about him, you vipers, you hypocrites, you whited walls. That was not exactly how to win favor with the, with the Pharisees, but he wasn't trying to win fair, uh, favor with the Pharisees because they were self-righteous, walking around, acting like they're goody-two-shoes, when in their heart they were wicked, vile people. And I love Jesus' answer many times. He goes, well... I didn't come to save the righteous. I came to save, or come to save, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And I didn't come to heal the those that don't need a physician. I came to heal the sick. Looking right at the Pharisees. Well, you're perfect, so you don't need me. But I didn't come for you anyhow. Now he didn't mean that as if they didn't ever, ever repent, he wouldn't accept them. But he's saying, look, if you think you're all self-righteous. I'm going to go to those who understand their need. And by the way, Christian, then if that was the Savior's attitude as he dealt with people, then when you and I are find somebody who is self-righteous as we're out sharing the gospel with others, and they're given excuse after excuse, and they are telling you how wonderful they are, and you're trying to show them their sinfulness, if they refuse to see it, then <clears throat> truthfully, I believe we could walk away from them with the same understanding that Jesus did, sometimes the self-righteous are just so blinded they're never going to see. And so while we don't give up on them, let's go and seek those that understand that they have a problem and are seeking something and invest more time there. You follow what I'm saying? Because those that know they have a problem are seeking help, and not that we have the help, but we know the one that can help them, right? Right? 
So let's remember that we all have been forgiven. And in closing, let's turn over to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. (laughs) This is the text of one of the very first messages I preached when I was about 12 years old. My wife has a tape of it. And it will never be distributed to this church. (laughs) I sound like a scared little boy. You know why? Because I was a scared little boy. Matter of fact, as I was preaching that message, the first time I preached it was in school chapel. Next time I preached it was at church. And it was a Sunday evening. Somebody said amen and I froze. I just stood there like... The guy was kind. He didn't say amen anymore because I was like, I just didn't know what to do. (laughs) Then came Peter unto him and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother sin against me? I'm sorry. How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Peter thought he's being gracious. All right. You did it once. I'll forgive you. You did it twice. Okay, I'll forgive you again. Three times. Okay, I'm still forgiving. Four I'm still forgiving. Five. You're forgiven once again. Six. Let me tell you something. When that seventh time comes, you better watch out because one more and you're done. But Jesus says unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now, Jesus was not saying, okay, get out a chart and at 490, Enon, This is 489. One more, and you're done. I'm not forgiving you anymore, all right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying you keep on forgiving. Therefore, it's the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children, all that he had to payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of his servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me all that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. But he went and cast him into prison till he should pay all the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that was done, they were very sorry and came and told it to the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Should not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Whew. You get the, you get the uh, parable that Jesus gave. But let me give you a spiritual application. Jesus Christ has forgiven me of all my sin. Past, present, future. All the wickedness I've ever done against Christ. He is forgiven. He forgave the Apostle Paul. He forgave David. He forgave every one of us. And so anything you could do against me is nothing in comparison to what I've done against the holy God who has forgiven me all. Yet, when I went to him 
when I went to God, when I went to God and, and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he forgave me all that debt. So how dare I go and say to Ed, at any point, I can't forgive you. Christian, I've heard Christians say, I can't forgive. And I tell them, it's not that you can't. It's that you won't. Because if you focus on what God has forgiven you for Christ's sake, you can. You're making a choice not to. And so if there ever comes a point that I say, I won't forgive, or use the excuse, I can't forgive. So go back to Peter's question, till seven times? Jesus says, till 70 times seven. Don't take account, just keep forgiving. And every time, remember... God has forgiven me. God has forgiven me. And what I've done is so much worse than what this individual has done to me. So I forgive. Besides, holding a grudge does what? I told you before, I was wronged by a pastor in a situation, and the situation doesn't even matter anymore. But I was angry. I was upset. I'm like, wait a minute, this is a pastor, and he did wrong. And I was very angry. And years later, when every time I think about that situation, I'd still become angry about it. I'm like, how dare he have done that to me? And just, I'll say this much. It was a church of 1,300 people, and I was called to the platform and publicly humiliated. I was on staff, and it was nothing I had done wrong but it's a situation that he created that really made me look bad. Okay, I'll just leave it at that. And I heard a message on forgiveness, and the preacher was saying, you know, the truth is, though, is you being bitter, it's like they control you by remote, and they don't even know half the time what they've done. But every time you think of that individual, you become angry and bitter about it. And I thought, Lord, I can't hold this grudge. I went forward at that message, and I confessed it, and I went home, and I picked up the phone, and I called that pastor, and I said, I've been holding a grudge against you. And he goes, whatever on earth for? And initially, my first thought was, how dare you not know? And then I was like, wait a minute. That's exactly what the preacher said. Many times, they don't even know what they did. And, I'm like, and I told him, I said, he's in glory now. I said, Pastor Harris, I said, it really doesn't matter. And I don't remember if he asked me what the specifics were. And if he did ask me, I did tell him. Otherwise, I don't remember telling him the specifics of it. I said, but I was wrong. And I said, apparently you don't even remember. But I need your forgiveness so I can put this aside and get rid of the bitterness. And he said, Jim, I forgive you. Now I can talk about it and it doesn't bother me. Matter of fact, I have tried to apply what happened there to try to make sure I don't do the same thing to somebody else. You follow what I'm saying? Take it as a life lesson. Because you do realize pastors are men too and they make mistakes. And so I was like, okay, best I can do is by God's grace, try not to bring that kind of offense to somebody else. Well, I failed at that. I've had to go and get my situations right with people. But that's the point, folks. Be careful what you're listening to. 
because we've all said something we shouldn't about somebody else. Be careful what you say. Think about it before you say it. But then when there is conflict, be careful and use wisdom in how you respond because we've all, we are all sinners saved by grace. And we've all offended somebody else. And we all need to learn to get the situation rectified so we can continue to serve God without a root of bitterness, without something, division springing up in the church. And by the way, this is how it happens. You read the book of Corinthians, and boy, there was all kinds of divisions going on in that church. Why anybody calls themselves Corinthian Baptist Church, I don't understand. But, you know, I guess they like to have trouble. I don't know. Uh, Because I don't know if they ever actually got it all right. Did they? (laughs) I mean, Paul kept writing letters trying to help correct it, but anyhow, neither here nor there. The point being is, there's going to be a time when you offend somebody else. Be quick to reconcile. Because eternity is more important than you holding a grudge. Apply godly wisdom to our speech. Apply godly wisdom to what we hear. Apply godly wisdom to how we respond.